welcome to the Geopolitical Pickle War Room. Today, we're going to be discussing the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Up to date, eight months in, to talk about the current situation and to try and provide you with some good geopolitical analysis of what we think is going to happen, the current situation and the implications. Joining me today, as ever, we've got Juan Free Munoz, my co-founder and co-host. Terrible that you still don't know my name properly. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, unless you just came out of the board game Jumanji, you know that there's a, there's a war going on right now in Ukraine. Yes, you know that uh, on the 24th of February, Russia invaded Ukraine uh, with full force and that ever since the situation has changed and the perspectives have changed. Now, eight months into the conflict, we can basically talk about this uh, time of counteroffensive from Ukraine regaining territories on the uh, on the Russia-claimed uh, republics of uh, Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, Zaporizhia and Zaporizhia. Kharkiv. And... Uh, Basically, what we've been seeing in the last month and most uh, importantly in the last couple of weeks is Ukraine regaining territory that not just Ukraine regaining territory, but Russia retreating from those territories indeed, like Ukraine winning those territories even sometimes without the fight. So what is more or less the situation that we have right now, Ronan? Well, if we look to the east of Ukraine, Ukraine has made huge gains of territory, taking back huge regions of the east especially really strategic towns. First of all, they took Izium, which is quite a, an important town linking highways to the north of Ukraine, previously home to about 50,000 inhabitants and currently about 10,000 Ukrainians still residing there under Russian occupation. And these areas were occupied right at the beginning of the war. That was the beginning of the push eastward. And then they managed to take the very strategically important town of Lehman. Lehman itself is not a huge population town, but... No, but it's got some rail lines. Geopolitically, it's extremely important. Lehman is the main artery connecting Russia down through Ukraine to the southern parts of Ukraine that have been occupied. So through to the Kharkiv region, sorry, to the Kasern region, there's only two real routes which Russia has to resupply them. Through the occupied territories of Luhansk and Donetsk, heading down, of which one of the two major, two only major rail lines is Lehman, or alternatively across through Crimea, across the bridge, and then up from the south there. So do you want to talk about the bridge just briefly now, Wanfrey? Yes, as we've seen again, if you haven't been in the Jumanji game for the last six months, you know that there was a massive explosion in, in a bridge connecting Crimea with, with Russia. Uh, this explosion still has not been solved. I'm, if I remember correctly, the Russians alleged some terrorist attack. The investigations pointed at some sort of some sort of bomb made out of fertilizers that exploded midway through the through the bridge. My understanding that, is, from what I've heard, it's mostly been not officially claimed, but Ukrainian officials claim that yes, basically internally, that yes, it was Ukrainians. Uh, on Twitter, on Twitter, there forces. were some me- on Twitter there were some messages that I mean they pointed out in a way, even if you're. I mean, when you when you make fun of those things in the way that you can make it on a meme on on Twitter, yes, it may it may look like uh, it it looks like it may have been on the it may have happened because of some uh, Ukrainian action over there. However, it's still not confirmed because still mm-hmm. the 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 sources are not conclusive and the the opinions are not conclusive. However, 
what's what's the importance is what what it imply what it implies what it implies is that right now the supply lines of of Russia between Russia and Crimea are damaged. They are not utterly destroyed because apparently the bridge will be able to be recovered and some parts of it are already working, but definitely those connections are damaged and they would take some time and they would pose some challenges for the Russian to resupply their troops in Crimea and in southern Ukraine as well as at it poses a threat on their control of the entire peninsula of of Crimea. Again, right now, still no, we could say that it's still not conclusive. If you're listening to, to Russian information, then uh, it's been uh, it's been Ukrainians. Then again, the reaction is still the same. Russia is lacking two of its main connections with the occupied territories and the replen- their, their replenishing of their troops will be get will get more and more difficult when when winter is coming. So for this, I would like to ask you, Ronan, just a little bit. What are the Russian responses to this, what we are calling counteroffensive? What has, how has Russia been behaving lately? So Russia has changed their tactics a fair bit. Right now, as it stands, if we look specifically at Kherson, they are basically retreating from the region. Mm-hmm. They're trying to build some sort of militia within the local within the city because it is the, it's the biggest city that Russia has taken from Ukraine. Yeah, since interesting. The like Kherson, Kherson is like the largest and only capital of province that is under that the Russians managed to occupy and that is still under Russian occupation. And so now, I mean, now Kherson is under threat from Ukrainian forces advancing in the south, and. I think partially because of this, these issues with supplying Kassan, as well as the military defeats that they've suffered elsewhere, they've actually started to retreat the city early. And we can see that Western UK and US officials, of a UK ex-army chief quoted today saying that he believes that Ukraine is actually going to roll straight through Kassan. So these all underlie the weakness of Russia's armed forces position at the moment. So because of this, strictly because of this, I think the Russian response has been extremely, I would say, terrorist in nature. It's been attacking civilian infrastructure and using Iranian drones, which we might touch on in a little bit, to target the electrical grid, say, first of all, there was the major bombardments in response to the bridge attack Monday last week. Then Following that, there's... For, been... for the listeners, Monday last week is around the 17th of October. Yep. Following that, they've attacked a lot of the energy infrastructure using the Iranian-made drones. And these drones are extremely cheap to produce, extremely cheap to buy compared to ballistic missiles of which Russia is most likely running very short on at the moment because they've depleted their stocks in these previous attacks. And what we found is they've been very successful, actually, in probably the most successful stage of the conflict for them altogether has been using these drones to attack power plants. I believe it's around only 30% of Ukraine's energy grid is now online. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, Ukraine has not had a very easy time dealing with these, but they've actually just taken receipt of some more anti-aircraft, high-technological anti-aircraft equipment from Germany and the UK, I believe. So these will actually increase the ability to deal with these drone attacks in the future. However, 
at the moment, even if only fifty percent of these drones strike, there's enough. They don't, they don't cost very much to manufacture. Yeah. Then they can release a large amount at once, and only a few need to hit the target to cause huge damage, which and we've seen a, happen. Yes, and there is one thing in particular with the drones. There is one interesting thing that makes it so important in the campaign. These drones are not easily to be targeted by anti-aircraft, by anti-aircraft. Especially if they send them in the waves, which they have been yes. doing, like. Ukrainian, and because they can because they can't even stay, they can just stay there. They can't. You cannot it, yeah. even trace their their until they their start path. their exactly. rapid descent until to they the start target. their rapid descent. Exactly. So this is really the first time Russia's used this tactic to this extremity and effectiveness as well. So I think although Ukraine has been really successful in count in the counteroffensives in the east and in the south, this has really hit them hard. But what I would say on that is that what they haven't done is really broken the will of the Ukrainian people. So I believe a survey reported by a Kiev Independent just today, Monday 24th of October, has the support for the war sitting at 86% amongst Ukrainian people, with only 10% in favor of actually searching for a ceasefire and a solution with the Russian government. So this, this morale, this high morale, I think will lead into the winter. And then, I don't know, we, we should now touch on what you see for the winter, and then I can go through what I think will yes. happen. I mean, it is it is interesting to see how can it developed. When the when the invasion started, it was still it was still cold, and the reality was that the bulk of the Russian army could see that it would stop because of the weather that there was and because of the conditions of the ground. Then it gained speed, but it was a little bit too late. And the reality that we're seeing right now is that we're facing a winter where, in the best of scenarios, we'll have, as you were mentioning, 30% of uh, available electricity in the region. And what we are seeing is a lack of potential uh, a difficulty in resupplying in, on the Russian lines. So the Russians have been retreating from their previously occupied positions, arguing that they were going to do some counteroffensive, whatever. So in my opinion, we have two scenarios that come with the winter. The first one is a relatively rapid counteroffensive by Russia trying to achieve some strategic objectives before winter comes and also to get themselves some victory because in the last months they have only been able to share losses. And in re- and the reality is that even within even the reports that come from even Russian television and Russian media is that these reports on failures and military failures of Russia are already touching the general public. And that is a situation that how long can you keep it on your own country to keep your your image as the image that Russia wants to sell, that they are trying to denazify Ukraine and that the Ukrainians were going were gonna to open their arms when the Russian troops were arriving and everything. How can you keep that, that speech? How can you keep that idea? And... That again, that leads us to the two options, which is the operation and a counteroffensive that would actually be successful, even regaining some sort of territory that would be uh, relatively valuable to to Russia. Let's say, for example, pushing a little bit northern in the southern in the southern flank to liberate a little bit Kherson, trying to reach and complete the occupation of Luhansk and, and Donetsk, which are two provinces that are. The two republics that are um, claimed, claimed by, Russia. by Russia, but that the the reality is that Russia doesn't actually have the full control of the territory, or having a strategic retreat of those troops, 
you back up during winter you replenish your troops because ukraine is not is also not going to be able to attack at this point what we're facing is winter in this area becomes the the soil becomes muddy the weather conditions don't allow you to do proper airstrikes they don't allow you to do proper reconnaissance they're going to stop your troops so the option the the ideal option from and from a strategic point of view in my opinion for the russians would be you retreat you build up your force again and then with the first light of spring you go back and attack now the reality is that right now they cannot do it and that is the question whether the russians will push to do some sort of offensive or to what we can agree would be a false flag attack on on their soil on a russian soil on a ukrainian soil that the russians would claim that it was the ukrainians because for example of the claims that we've got from russia that ukraine may be wanting to use a a dirty bomb but, a dirty bomb or okay. they may be wanting to blow up the dam of kayovka which would have really destructful a uh, really destructive outcome so those for me are the two options either russia will try a last counter offensively for winter or they will just go back and and uh, fortify themselves because there are not that many more options for you okay. to go forward for me i i can't see any of those options really coming to fruition except if they want to resort to t- terrorist sort of tactics bombing the dam because again that's a huge source of hydroelectricity and would cause immense destruction downstream i think that might be an overstated threat if they did that i think there would be even more international condemnation but as for the other points i i really for me the current situation has shown russia's tactical mishaps and their tactical weakness it's shown that their troops are very ill prepared to be occupying the territory because if we look at these cities that have been reclaimed by the ukrainian army time and time again the russians have had to rush out of the city because they've been surrounded by ukrainian troops the winter is hard in ukraine and in russia we all know it's cold but it's wet it's wet it's muddy but it once it turns to ice it might be more easy to traverse either way in my opinion the ukrainians are better equipped to deal with this for multiple multiple reasons how come multiple reasons i would say first of all they've got nato supplied equipment mm-hmm. they've been trained to work this is their country they've been trained to live there they know this territory very well plus every time they liberate a city the morale of the people the people there are supporting them and cheering them on and supplying them with food supplying them with soup supplying them with blankets when russians are in a city they've got the whole population against them they don't want them there they want them gone that really in my opinion has a massive impact on the morale of the troops then you've got the russian troops right now which as we discussed are struggling with supply lines which have from the beginning of the war shown themselves to be nothing but petty thieves raiding houses raiding businesses stealing food stealing whatever they can get their hands on because there was i remember this report some one month in the war where uh, they found a lot of uh, iPhones that were in Belarus already exactly <laughs> yes. and not to talk about the washing machines which we saw blown up on the side of the road on the way to Russia at the start of the war i think russia has tried now and the thing is it's moves right now to me scream of panic as you brought up the dirty bomb claims by russia which is just 
literally yesterday was when they claimed that Ukraine was planning to drop a dirty bomb. Ukraine has asked the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the, the, the UN organization that oversees all nuclear power, all nuclear weapons and facilities, to come and inspect them. They've got nothing to hide. This is absolute nonsense by Russia. This is them, this is Sergei, Sergei, Sergei Sergu talking to the minister for UK, talking to the minister for the US and trying to convince them that Ukraine is going to be dropping a dirty bomb. Why would he do this? Because then it, it, it gives a pretext for escalation from the Russian side. Why do they need escalation? Because they're having to retreat from all these areas. They, they're the ones that have had to resort. Now, Ukraine's had mobilization since the beginning. It's their territory being invaded by a bigger mm. army, a bigger neighbor with more troops. Russia did not want to resort to mobilization because, because this is of a, the backlash. It's a special operation. Exactly. It's a special operation. It's not a war. You can't. Why, why are people being mobilized for a special operation? Mm. And I think the Russian people are so exposed to propaganda within the country. They were mostly almost entirely for the war or the special operation, shall we call it, up until the point of mobilization because it actually strikes back with them. And then they see these people from towns in especially the poor regions of Russia getting called up to the military and getting assigned not literally nothing, nothing. So they're, they're going to the front lines and getting told, if you want body armor, you can buy your own body armor. What sort of an army is this? It's a disgrace. The Russian people should be revolting. Like they are, they are very, the unease has grown massively in the recent times. And because of this, I really see that Ukraine can make advances all through winter against the Russian forces. They can keep pushing. The Russian supply lines are weak. The Russian supplies are weak. If we look at just literally the last two weeks, the last week, we've had two Russian planes, fighter jets, crash into civilian infrastructure within Russia without any other threats. To me, that speaks of, A, a lot of people being called back to the military that are not equipped to be there. Mm-hmm. B, a huge lack of maintenance within the fleets which Russia is trying to call upon to bring to the war because they're so depleted. And C, the cutting impact that the sanctions have had on the Russian economy and their ability to fund this illegal war. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand what you say there. I just want to ask a question re- with regards uh, of the... Particularly with what you were saying on the on the two planes that uh, that crashed. Do you think it's more a matter of, of the technology of the of the military or do you think... Or of the Russian military? Or do you think it is a matter of training? And it is a, if it's a matter of training, a strategic retreat that would allow Russia to withhold their territory during winter because yes you're saying that Ukraine can you you're saying that Ukraine can advance but they can only advance with special operation corps but a, a, str- a strategic retreat would a- enable a more rapid advance for the Ukrainian forces in my opinion you Russia's struggling to hold the front lines that they have now if they retreat more forces from the fr- those front lines they're going to lose more territory and they're going to be losing the territory in which they've claimed is now Russia And that's a massive embarrassment to Putin himself because he's the one that went to this massive opening ceremony to say that this is all now part of Russia. Welcome. You'll be Russia forever. Mm-hmm. And then literally within a week and a half, two weeks, they've lost reasonably large amounts. They're, they're on the verge potentially of losing the biggest city in those four oblasts. Mm. That's a major embarrassment to Putin, I think. But don't you think, because, I mean, I have I have an, a thought, and this thought is, if Russia manages to withhold the territory that they have right now, 
and the and the winter comes and it is again it is really difficult to pose any offensive in this time any offensive will be mostly sabotage will be special operations will be situations like this because driving the bulk of your military or even a part of your military during the winter in that region is known to be fatal throughout history but like, Russia, this is not but... something that is from now now don't you what i see is that the russians may be retreating to save some posts, to save some locations there, save some strategic locations, even though they're losing several. Like Izium. Izium was yes, a major losing... weapons depot for the whole eastern region there. Yes. That's a massive loss for yes, them for but strategic... You keep, but you keep Kherson. And... That is a sentimental position apart from a strategic one. You also keep more or less... Con- well, you keep connected all of the regions that you keep occupied. And during this time, that is going to be much, more, much easier for you to defend yourself from the Ukrainian counteroffensive you can you have four months to train your troops the ones that you've just that you've just talked you just taken with the personal mobilization the demoralized ones that don't want to be there anymore or which which troops are we talking here because i mean there that's, i i don't believe that the reality the real the the full reality is that all those troops are demoralized that they don't want to go if all those no, troops people, were we, demoralized that they didn't want to go there would have been a coup in russia already the reality is that, that there is a big chunk of population that either by ignorance or because of belief or because they don't really have a saying in this or because they're forced to go, they will keep on training and they will go fighting in Ukraine. Yes, we're seeing that there's many people leaving. We're seeing, yes, of course, there is a dissent within Russia. But the reality is that still, until now, the Kremlin has enough power to bring, as according to their own numbers, 220,000 reservists into the forces. Hmm. 220,000 reservists into not the equipped. forces. Not equipped, let's be clear. Not, not equipped. even equipped. Not us. equipped. Then again, you have four or five months to train those troops, to try to replenish it with weapons that will come from whatever. They can come from China through Mongolia. They can come from Iran straight away. They can come from North Korea. They can come from anywhere. You just replenish those troops in five months. And it's your best asset, even if it won't work. Because in my opinion... The training that the Ukrainian troops have had in the last eight months, plus the equipment that they have uh, uh, supplied by NATO countries and Western and Western countries, but like other countries like Japan, for example, it's gonna in the end turn the balance towards the Ukrainians. But well, we've seen that you... already, haven't we? We've yes, yes, yes. We're seeing, we're seeing it already. Yeah. The reality is that we're seeing it already. Now, five months of training, five months of replenishing, even if it's low, little by little, even if there's sabotage, five months of totally replenishing your troops can lead us to, if Russia is not defeated now, a massive counteroffensive by March or by February again, another February 24th. And I really believe that a strategic retreat right now, it could hurt the pride and it could be, it, it could be deadly internally for Putin because you have to withstand these five, six months. But that has to be losing part of his calculation. Yes, but then again, part of his calculation was taking Ukraine within 10 days. And so it clearly he was fed some terrible so information from the beginning. I mean, Of course, but it's you keep on... They've kept on changing their, their, their approach to the war. They've started, point, they've started targeting the electric grid because they were, because they were losing everywhere. And they remain losing. So you start targeting the, the electric grid to prepare for the winter. I, I would argue that Putin and the, his generals that he's got in place will not allow these frontline retreats. Mm-hmm. 
He will keep the people there. They want to maintain this front line. To him, every inch of ground that's lost is another source of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. This is a, the Ukrainians, his weaker neighbor, just using some Western equipment and is mm-hmm. able to fight them back. Yep. For me, this is really a sign of, again, his weakness and the Russian force's weakness. And I can't see, I can't see this winter being very good for Russia. Obviously, there's power crunch across Europe and now across Ukraine. Of course. But the sanctions abiding in Russia as well. I think we shouldn't forget that those sanctions have been escalating up since the start of the war. And internally, he's going to have some problems. There's a lot of domestic issues right now. He's, I'm not saying that he is in any risk of being outed. He's got a very, very strong core-dominated situation where he can control the, the population very effectively. We see any protests are quickly stamped out and everyone's rounded up and put into jail. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to assess how much undercurrent there is of resentment towards this war. But the longer it goes on, I can guarantee you that more people will be annoyed, upset, angry that their sons and their sons, their grandsons, their brothers are being sent to war in another country to die, not even wearing equipment. When we're hearing stories of troops being sent and within two weeks, these are troops that have been called up on on the mobilization orders. And then two weeks later, their family gets a letter in the mail saying, sorry, your son's died in service. There's only so long that that can go on within the country, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I would like to just now, as a last thing, touch on, you give, it, give me a geopolitical analysis of the future. So I want you to give a prediction of the future. Okay. Based on... what? How, your, long, how long in the future? I need to have some basis here. To the end of winter. To the end of winter. Okay. Where do you see the situation by February 24, a year into the war? On a, on a, on a, just in the, in the war scenario or a little bit also in the... Whatever you like. I mean, the reality is that I really, I really think that the Russians are trying to, to fortify themselves. So by the end of winter, what I perceive that can happen is an escalation of the rhetoric from the Ukrainian side because of seeing themselves victorious but wanting to get that that wanted to keep that uh, that that momentum that yeah. they have right now however the longer the time the, the the more the time passes the support for Ukraine from the population of the countries that are right now supporting Ukraine particularly in Europe may twinkle because if we are facing a really if we are facing a cold winter And there's parties in in Europe that say, hey, you know why are you having this bad winter? Because we're giving support to the Ukrainians. That could be a massive unexpected blow into Ukraine's support. Not even because the countries that are still support that are supporting Ukraine would stop supporting them, but because of a big part of the population would see them as not defending the the liberties of Europe as as our own very own propaganda is telling us because so in do you the see end, this is a this is a propaganda this is a propaganda war too we're we're living in in this information warfare then do you see some european countries withdrawing their support for ukraine i'm not seeing some european countries withdrawing their support for ukraine i see some european countries having internal problems because of their continuous support to ukraine and that may lead 
to not necessarily a, redu a reduction of their support to Ukraine, because they can still support whatever, but having a posture more like Turkey. We still send you some, uh, some aid, we still send you some millions of whatever, but we start accepting Crimea as Russian, we start accepting some claims of Russian to try and broker an agreement that may lead us to a solution to our energy crisis or at least to our people's, to what our people think that it might be, which may lead to this. Again, this is hypothetical, but I, I can really see the population in Europe revolting against energy prices and energy insecurity. And that may lead to these countries trying to find a fast solution for Ukraine that will not be accepted by the Ukrainian government, but that could lead us to a next, an exit, an that could lead us to a difficult situation, uh, a different situation in the conflict, particularly international. Now, at the same time, you have that the countries that are supporting Russia right now are unable to support Russia, nor military, nor, uh, nor economically. The only one that can support some, that can some send some military support is Iran. And Iran has got its whole internal turmoil, which could lead to, again, another crisis. That's of another government. episode. To That's come another up. episode. But the allies of Russia may crumble. The few that they have still. I mean, we haven't even I mean, touched on Iranian sanctions. We haven't even touched. Because no, of the drone transfers. Of course. Of course, we haven't even touched on that. But I, I don't foresee a such a simple and easy outcome of a black swan for, for those of you who don't know, a black swan, when you're doing risk analysis, is a scenario that has got little, little, little chances of happening, but it actually does. And a black swan is Russian, Russia in, uh, doing a full-scale invasion into Ukraine, which is what we've seen. And another black swan is Russia blowing up its own pipeline, as some Western intelligence said that they did. It's another black swan. What we're dealing is with black swan after black swan. And in this situation, just on the pipeline, this is an interesting, this is a whole rabbit hole, <laughs> no, we, no, no, no. This is a whole me, rabbit me. hole we could go down. <laughs> no, because no, no, no. Okay, I would just point out that there's been seven Russians arrested in Norway in the last yes, two know, weeks I know, I know. Yes, with drones filming critical infrastructure. So yes, it's, it's, it's obviously, and it may be, but it's still, it would be, it would be like the only, you can only give one explanation into Russia doing that, that it's a, a theory that it's called throwing the wheel. If I'm if I'm not wrong, like it's showing that you're so crazy, so berserk mode that you would destroy your own infrastructure just to pursue your gains, mm. which is in the kind of inter uh, international politics that we were thinking in the kind of international arena, in the kind of geopolitics that we were thinking before 24th of February 2022. It's a black swan because there is no because the world. 90% of the world, except for the UK intelligence and the US intelligence, no one believed that Russia was going to invade Ukraine, for a start. So what we have to see here is that scenarios may not be as rational as we perceive. And we should, and, from, and as we, I mean, particularly Europe, if they want to keep on supporting Ukraine, this potential backlash from their own population onto their foreign policy, should be something that should be taken into account. It should be something that should not be diminished. It should be something for which you should have a plan in advance. A media approach, speech approach, even sentimental approach to the population. So then, if in I'm a way, getting that, straight, this your, doesn't happen. Your prediction then is that the European 
countries will have some internal turmoil because mm -hmm. of over the winter because of energy prices which are already sky high. Yes. Plus, there will be some issues across Ukraine where Russia might slowly do a counter uh, retreat mm -hmm. in plans for a massive reoffensive mm -hmm. come early spring, but no major territorial gains. I would not expect any major territorial gains nor losses from nor from Ukraine nor from Russia and unless I don't know again there's another this is your this prediction we can check on this in a few months I'll give you mine afterwards we can review actually we, let's review it in five months exactly uh, by 24th of February we'll review it unfortunately but there could be another scenario where is that the these threats that uh, these bluffs or as we perceive it as bluffs that Russia has 70,000 soldiers in Belarus and they're going to invade Ukraine from the north to divert to divert Ukrainian troops from the north to defend the south from the south to defend the north that we think it's a bluff and it is actually true and then they end up putting 70,000 soldiers 70 kilometers from Kiev again from the intelligence that we can that we can get right now from all this from all the information that we can get right now that's highly that's basically not the reality that's not going to happen but i at this situation what scares me the most about the conflict is the the lack the the incapacity that we have to foresee what will happen in one month because we have one actor that is not playing by the rules nor geopolitics not international, international uh, not norms. international norms. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is a country. What we're seeing is a state acting with a early 20th, 20th century mentality, with the weapons of the early 21st century, and of which we have no information of what's happening inside apart from what our own propaganda tells us. And that's what scares me the most about the conflict. That's why I believe that this. That's Like the option is to stay, like just stabilization of the of the, the front, front line right now, and then in February, a massive counterattack from the Russians with that the Ukrainians have to be ready for. Interesting. We'll have to check up on that now, and I'll give you my yes, please. I'll, please. I'll now give you. My... I, I didn't even want. No, no, no. no please, run it. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Hey, we need to. We need to have a challenge about who's the most correct in four months' time or five. Uh, months let's time. hope. So for me, <laughs> for me. I see these Ukrainian advances continuing. Kasson is under huge pressure from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That is a major strategic blow to Russia yet again, on top of a series of blows. And some of the time, like right now, the Ukrainian forces have taken some really strategic cities in the east. And now if we look at the map over the last week or two, it's not moved much. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not indicative of the whole winter. I think Ukraine will continue to make advances liberating some of the occupied territory that will take the city of Kherson. As you brought up, the European internal turmoil potentially due to energy prices, I don't see it personally. I think people understand this is about their own security. And to me, personal security trumps power, energy security, or energy prices. And I know people that might listen from further abroad might not understand, but we're coming to you from Czech Republic which was once a Soviet country. And people here, in my opinion, would happily give up warmth for the winter if it meant staying away from Russia's grasp. Not to say that if Russia's successful in Ukraine, that means that they're successful in taking back Soviet Union. But not to say that people here aren't worried about the energy prices. 
I just think that they understand that this is this is security in Europe. This is the biggest war in Europe since World War II. That escalates above your personal warmth. In France, you mentioned to me before, the French people, they're much further away from the conflict. Mm-hmm. But they understand what it's like. Like the scars of World War II, of course, still in the French countryside. They understand what it's like if this front line advances across. They're not willing to commit troops right now, obviously. No no European country really wants that. No NATO country wants that. But the support for Ukraine, I'm sure, is happy to continue because this is seen as an outrageous violation of the integrity of the of the country. It's a blatant disregard for the charter that the UN was founded on. And in my opinion, people just will not tolerate that. If they have to go through a cold winter because of that, so be it. So be it. So for me, Ukraine has been extremely successful. They'll continue to be. The support has actually increased recently. We've seen like more high-tech anti-air systems being delivered to Ukraine just recently. Mm-hmm. Most countries more than willing to keep supplying Ukraine. And yes, honestly, and honestly, and approving, but yeah. these successes that Ukraine's experienced mm-hmm. only further the justification for sending more weapons mm-hmm. because... They've been so successful already, and if, if it wasn't for these Western support, I think most people would agree that Ukraine would have been taken over mm-hmm. by Russia. Mm-hmm. They can point to the fact that they've taken these NATO weapons which have been supplied to them and been able to use them so effectively that not only have they stopped the Russian advance, now they're taking back city after city. Again, Kherson would be a major blow to Russia in that aim and say, we've now liberated the most populous city that was under Russian occupation. So for me... The winter is going to be bad for Russia. It'll be cold for Europeans, but it'll be worse for Russians. We'll see where we are in four months' time. Okay, I think it's a good... I hope you that you're listening through the other side of this podcast enjoyed the conversation. We would like to hear your opinions too, because in the end, this is these are our two opinions. We're also here based in the Czech Republic, so we are also heavily influenced by the information that we receive here and the impression that we received in the streets. Maybe if you're somewhere else in Europe or if you're somewhere else around the world, I have some insight that we're heard in Australia too. So maybe you may have a different perspective of what is happening. We would like to hear your opinion in the comments. Um, and we would like to thank you for staying with us in this last episode. Thank you very much. We will come the next week with more The Geopolitical Pico. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Your Political Pickle. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to seeing you next time. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram for more behind-the-scenes content. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Thank you and see you next week.